The neat thing about Ultra is that you could kind of request data anywhere in the tree. There's no concept of pages or like top level data fetching, which kind of filters down to the rest of your component tree. We don't support the traditional render to string methods because I was really fascinated with how data fetching works in this new kind of post suspense world. So that's probably the number one thing that, that really differentiates it from everything else is that it's really trying to lean hard into the streaming side, which I still find quite interesting. Hi there, and welcome to Pod Rocket. I'm your host, Paul, and today we're very fortunate to have Omar Mashal on with us. How are you doing, Omar? Good, how are you going? Well, I'm excited to have you on because we're talking about a brainchild of yours, a masterful product called Ultra. So Ultra is a web framework, is right? Very simply put. Yeah, that's correct. Um, uh, I think the thing that really sets it apart is it's built uh, Dino first, um, all with React 18 and some of its new features that were really recently released. Yeah, so we just had a podcast a few days ago where we had somebody that works very heavily with Dino. And this was the first step, like foray I've ever personally had, like learning about Dino and really like some of its benefits. And it seems like a very strong candidate in a lot of ways to surpass Node and a lot of like Node reasons why I would use Node. What is like the number one reason why you use Dino? Is it like something you already loved and you came into it? Is this like the first time where you want to like build something serious with it? Uh, well, I guess, um, you know, I've been using Node for many years since. I don't know, maybe seven, eight years now. And um, I was one of the first people to jump onto the whole experimental modules and really uh, try to um, embrace ESM moving forward. And, um, you know, for years I was using it with Node in the experimental way. And I always found it was, you know, it's been a slow progress to kind of get to where we are at this point, which is still in Node. It's still a bit iffy which, which direction it's going. And we do see a lot of pushback around a lot of libraries supporting ESM and kind of moving that forward. And um, when Dino came around, uh, I think maybe about a year ago, I kind of jumped into it full, full, full force. And um, the really great thing about it is that it is ESM 100% by default. It has a lot of really neat things like uh, test runners, linting, formatters, all baked in. And, um, you know, prior to this, I would it would take me... 45 minutes minimum to set up Node on a new project to kind of make sure it's working to the standard that sort of what Dino gives you out of the box, um, as well as give you some nice niceties around, um, you know, TypeScript and JSX support out of the box as well. But, D- but Dino's not like, you know, that's just like a cool thing. You used it. It's like this new flavor that has all great things out of the box. But the big cherry on top that I kind of took away when I was reading about your work is you're unbundling the web. That's kind of like the catchphrase, right? Do you think you could step into that a little bit? Like, what does unbundling the web mean? Uh, I think, I think we, the, the industry at the moment is kind of really leaning more and more into bundling and code splitting and all these really complicated things. That um, I find that you know when when ES six first started becoming a thing. Uh, a lot of my friends who I worked with, we were always talking about how exciting it would be when we could actually just write ESM without any transpilation, bundling, magic required. You could sort of just write ESM, write your imports, all have it working, um, sort of like the old school web, how we would build it back 
prior to this big kind of push towards uh, complicated bundling and weird syntaxes and so on. And um, I think as of maybe the past year, I, it actually feels like this browser support and the sort of, you can, you can hit that point right now if you really want to. Um, and I think that's sort of where I wanted Ultra, that's sort of why I was driven to create Ultra, is to try and lean into those native browser features where um, it is serving vanilla ESM. Uh, we don't bundle your components. So if however you want to set your project up, you can set it up um, to your liking and it won't, it'll actually be served in that same sort of structure that um, you write it in, which I, I, you know, I wanted to try and be very unopinionated about all of that. There's no like magic directories that you have to set up that do certain things. It's you write your code and it gets served as ESM however you want to format it or structure your project. Um, so, you know, it's not, it's not 100% there where it's running completely non-transpiled code. You could still use JSX and TypeScript, but um, that's sort of a decision we made because that's what Dino supports as well. Um, it, we wanted to try and uh, meet in a middle ground where we're supporting all the stuff that Dino gives you out of the box, but also trying to push some of these native features. Um, so I guess that's sort of why I'm interested in the non-bundling aspect of the web. And because it's it's a native thing that browsers support. And um, if you utilize things like service workers, for instance, or the um, preload headers, you could kind of alleviate the, the, the kind of waterfall requests that could come through. And I do see a lot of people concerned about the waterfalls kind of slowing down loading, but you know, I kind of see it as a way to natively code split your project and um, only you don't need to have these really fancy code split bundles that sort of work in some instances, but don't, and you're always downloading extra code. Um, this sort of allows a native code splitting. So if I could ask, when you say waterfall, you mean the, do you mean the display we all love in developer tools are kind of like the development style of like having all the requests flush through at the beginning? Yeah, yeah. So if 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 you don't bundle your ESM um, and you serve ESM and you have a, a nested uh, chain of imports, um, if you do open the network tab, you will see the first one get requested and then the second one and the third one and so on and so forth. And um, yeah, so it, it's really how the, the the network loads all of your ESM modules. Um, you know, it's a it's a complicated subject that. Um, Ultra is sort of unopinionated in that regard where you could kind of control that and handle that however uh, your project needs it, I guess. And we found some really good um, use cases where utilizing service workers, you could actually just serve your unbundled, unbundled modules and um, future requests, they'll always be served from the service worker cache, which um, you know I, th I think is really neat. And, it's kind of fun to look through the inspector and you actually see like your unbundled modules that you've written and you know they're quite readable to the um, uh, if you're viewing source code you know which yeah it's a I saw a meme the other day where people were complaining about you know you can't read source code anymore because it's all these weird bundles where you can't you know it's really archaic and stuff so yeah I, ultimately I would love to see the web where we could actually write source code and run it and you know ultras are trying to bridge that way.
enjoying the podcast, consider hitting that follow button for more great episodes. So one, one argument about the complexity of why things are complex, because things are pretty complex now. It feels like we're getting new features and new this, new that, but yet things get more complicated as we're adding these things on. I mean, one example that is hotly contested on, on Medium articles I'll find sometimes is the whole like single sign-on Google Auth like ecosystem, right? It's like, it's great. There's a lot of fine-grained control, but that also is sort of like forcing Google into the monopolistic position that it's in right now. Do you feel like the complexity of like the technologies and the features that are being developed is sort of pushed and forced by the proprietarization of like larger companies and taking us away from like grassroots and like true development knowledge? Yeah. Um, sometimes I feel like uh, the web that people are pushing us towards is 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 really to to give certain companies more power and more um, make it easier for them to make money for some of the products that they're pushing and um, I think we find that with some of these like edge edge providers uh, serverless platforms you're kind of you're writing code that isn't really browser or even server native you like you you're finding yourself having to weed through weird documentation where um, you know, some of these ed providers, uh, serving static files is actually really tricky. And, you know, I've tried Cloudflare Workers, uh, Dino, Deploy, Vercel Edge, and they all have like really different ways to serve static files. And, um, you know, serving static files in the old school web was probably the easiest thing you could do. And that to me, that seems a bit weird that we've, we've, come, we've come so far with making these really fast run times and really complicated serverless frameworks and so on but like still serving a static file is like really quite hard <laughs> and it's it seems to have really like flipped its head um so yeah um it, you end up writing code it feels like sometimes when you're working in those environments that isn't owned by you in the end right mm. like like what, what are you going to do with that if you own a piece of code you know how it works how it runs and like what oil it takes to burn and it, you, it just feels like we're kind of being brought a little bit further away from that, especially, as you said, in like the serverless world and stuff. So the, the general bringing us back to, to your work, like the general thought of unbundling the web, I feel like is really enticing because it is bringing power and understanding back into the hands of the developers in some ways. Um, and this whole question got prompted from you mentioning like, wow, we go into the developer tools and it makes sense. Like it, it, it's all there. It's laid out. Like it's, it's developer friendly, which is, it's just really cool. Um, you don't see a lot of that these, these days. Yeah. I mean, I would really love to see uh, the frameworks and thought thoughts and whatever else that gets created more focused around what the browsers can do. Um, I, you know, service workers are, have been a thing for years now and I don't see a lot of talk about it. Um, and, you know, import maps are now supported in, I think, uh, Firefox, Chrome, I think even Edge supports it. So I think Safari is the last one to do it. Um, but, you know, import maps, like it's still, you know, my friend did a talk at a meetup around here. And I think he asked if anyone has heard of import maps. And there's like three people out of like a room full of 120 or so. And Do you want to inform um, some people? 
right here, right now? Like, what are they? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, import maps are something that um, is becoming a web standard. As I said, it's it works in Chrome and Firefox, and Safari has it on the radar. Um, there's a polyfill that you can use that will make it work in Safari, um, uh, and uh, Dino supports them as well. And import maps are sort of a way to define some of your dependencies. Um, they it sort of lets you uh, specify bare specifiers and um, point them to a certain URL. So you know we use uh, ESM.sh, which is a a sort of a ESM CDN that will actually let you use a lot of the NPM repositories, and you could, you could pop an ESM.sh into an import map. And that way, so if you um, have an import map with React, for instance, um, you could say import React from React just like you would in a normal NPM project. But um, what Dino does and what the browsers do is say, whenever, whenever you try to import from React, you're importing from that ESM.sh URL. And um, I think that's, that's probably the, the iffiest point around Dino adoption and um, a sort of a lack of understanding and a, a lack of how it works with NPM in general. And um, probably yeah, probably the biggest hurdle in adoption, in my opinion, is it's, it is quite unclear and you do have to sort of um, experiment a bit with it. But um, there are some um, neat products coming out or platforms that will allow this to be a bit easier. I think uh, JSPM, I think is what it's called. Um, they let you kind of create your own import maps uh, for you. So you can kind of like uh, add all your dependencies and it gives you a little chunk that you could kind of copy and paste and put in your project. Um, but it's sort of a way, it sort of replaces package.json and how you handle your dependency management. So speaking of imports, right, uh, the most common way, because we're, we're talking about uh, the state of the web and, and packages and, you know, maps and, and stuff like that. But let's also talk about your thing, Ultra, because it'd be great if some people can learn about this and visit your site and, and start tooling with it if they haven't before. And the number one way to get people onto like a new web framework or like make them comfortable trying it out is talking about React. Like, can we integrate React with it? How do I get started with React? Um, what do you say to those people that are looking to venture through that medium into your work? Oh, well, I mean, that's sort of why I, I created it. it, it it's, it's React first. Um, and yeah, I, I was using Next for many years. Um, I still do. I still use it quite a bit. And um, Ultra, I wanted, I wanted Ultra to feel kind of similar enough to that sort of world where um, you write your components in a very similar way. And um, it, I think coming from someone who uses Next a lot, it, it's not a huge... Once you get your head around import maps and some basics around how the project is set up, I think you'd be able to kind of um, find it right quite comfortable. Uh, there's nothing too vastly different from Next besides, like, we don't do um, uh, file-based, uh, was FS routing, I think is what they call it. Mm -hmm. um, you, like, back on the on opinionated route, we didn't want to force those sort of paradigms on you to kind of set it up however you want. We use um, uh, a router called Wouter, which is really great. Uh, a, a really tiny uh, React Native router. Not React Native, but the React Library. And um, yeah, it's it's really simple to use. And 
Um, it's fully compatible with Wouter, and um, we handle some of the more complicated routing that way. Oh, no, that's all right. So it's pretty easy to get set up, basically, if, if, if you want to get into it, especially if you've been in an environment like Next.js. That's the takeaway here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if, if you check out the repo, we have a, 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 repo, a repo called Create Ultra App, um, which sort of lets you, it gives you a, a super basic one page with routing and um, you know head management sort of stuff uh, all baked in for you. So you can kind of just clone that repo and run uh, Dino task start and it should just start working. That's going to be huge for people. I mean, that's what got me into Next.js is the fact that there was Create Next app. Oh, yeah, they're, they're great at that, yeah. So there's Create, uh, what, what's it called? Create um, Ultra app? Yeah, yeah. I, I just tried to, to, to lift the, the naming convention from everything else. Perfect. Yeah, I'm sure that's going to be like really useful for folks who want to step into it. It's Emily again, producer for Pod Rocket, and I want to talk to you. Yeah, you, the person who's listening but won't stop talking about your new favorite front-end framework to your friends, even though they don't want to hear about it anymore. Well, I do want to hear about it because you're really important to us as a listener. So what do you think of PodRocket? What do you like best? What do you absolutely hate? What's the one thing in the entire world that you want to hear about? Edge computing? Weird little component libraries? How to become a productive developer when your Wi-Fi is out? I don't know, and that's the point. If you get in contact with us, you can rant about how we haven't had your favorite dev advocate on or tell us we're doing great, whatever. And if you do, we'll give you a $25 gift card. That's pretty sweet, right? So reach out to us. Links are in the description. $25 gift card. So if somebody was stepping into your framework for the first time, besides from the mental shift stepping to Dino, like what is, you know, one of those things we'll have to grapple with changing their mental model to using the best features of what your framework ultra is providing? Well, I think um, besides for being, you know, a React Dino framework, there's a few things that ultra kind of set out to uh, cater for. And um, I wrote at the time when React 18 was still in an alpha state and I was really kind of, um, interested in how the streaming side of React 18 working, which, which is one of the, the big features in React 18, which I still don't see a lot of other frameworks talking about too much. But um, basically what it does is uh, it sends your server-side rendered page as uh, a streamed response um, to the browser. So what's sort of neat about that is that um, it, it's, it, it, it's heavily it uses suspense quite heavily in terms of how we do data fetching. Um, the neat thing about Ultra is that you could kind of request data anywhere in the tree. There's no concept of like pages or like top level uh, data fetching, which kind of uh, filters down through the rest of your component tree. You could kind of wrap suspense blocks anywhere in your tree and make uh, requests for data. And um, the React streaming server kind of We'll make those requests as the stream has already sent to the browser, and we'll um, server-side render those bits through the stream as it resolves, which is probably one of the key features around Ultra. Um, we don't support like the traditional um, render-to-stream methods because 
um, I was really fascinated with how data fetching works in this new kind of post-suspense world. And so that's probably the number one thing that, that really differentiates it from everything else is that it's, it's really trying to lean hard into the streaming side, which I still find quite interesting. Do you take advantage of, you know, your own implementation of the best practices of doing streams or are you stepping into like the HTTP 2.0 world? Yeah, so I think it's, it, is, it is all HTTP 2. Um, we do recommend um, deploying with that. Um, one of the things that version 1 that's currently the, the published version uses is um, use SWR, which is a Vercel library that sort of um, handles a lot of data fetching and all these different edge cases around when things uh, reload, when they don't. And... Um, that's something that handles suspense quite well, quite well until recently. I think they've, they've made the choice to not support streaming server-side rendering anymore. Um, so in version two, which we're not very far off from launching, um, we actually have our own sort of suspense fetch wrapper, which um, lets you kind of utilize server-side rendered streaming uh, responses with. So I mean, when you're using HTTP 2.0, it's it's it is a pretty significant speed boost you're getting because it's like a you know it's it's over a stream like that's the number one thing, and is it do you think this is going to change the way we're like setting up websites websites excuse me because I feel like we as we're moving more towards a server side render, it's like the bigger your server is and the more you creatively and selectively and correctly put things to flush out on the server, the faster your site's going to be. It's it's that simple, right? And so are we going to have larger and larger server deployments beating smaller and smaller websites? Is that going to be a trend you expect? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. I, I can't really say for sure. Um, yeah, I, I just, the thing I would like to see is that sort of, we have the options to kind of choose which direction we want to go. Um, and I think that's, that's, that, that's something I really like that's happening in the industry now, especially with like Dino and Bun, is that there's a lot of different ways to do things and they're not the kind of tried and true, like throw anything into this this magic box of like Webpack and ES build and everything. And it just sort of spits out these things that, um, you know, browsers seem to have become a target that you build to rather than something that you natively um, try to build for, if that makes sense. So. Um, I'm trying, you know, I, I just do hope that that sort of is something that becomes, you know, even if it's not the number one most popular way to build a website, is, I just hope that there is a, um, a small community that kind of is interested in this sort of way of thinking about it. And continues the research and development on it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we don't need, <laughs> every framework tries to be the end-all, be-all, I guess, like, it's, it does seem like a bit of a popularity contest sometimes. And, you know, uh, Ultra did have a bit of a, um, wasn't massive, but it had much more of a kind of hype rush than I was really expecting. And um, there was a real big kind of urge to try and tick every box that like Next.js does or Remix does or, you know, so on. And it's just something that um, it's, it's really easy to get caught up in. And, um, yeah, I think moving forward for like version 2.0, I'm, I'm, I think 
we really want to try and lean into the simplicity more rather than making it more and more complicated as things go on. Um, ultimately, I would like to remove more and more code so you're actually just using native browser features. Um, I mean, the time in human history when we really began to explode as a species is when we became specialized and artisanal. So there's something worth to be said there instead of being the end-all, be-all. Yeah, um, yeah. There's, there's many ways to build things nowadays, which is nice. So if I wanted to create a component today in, in your framework, like what could I expect to like, run into? Like, What's the first five minutes of making my Hello World component? Uh, well, I mean, if you if you start from the Create Ultra app, um, you, you, it kind of gives you one main like app.tsx file, which sort of uh, contains your top, you know, what we call a top level component, where it has your router. So, I mean, if you wanted to make a new component, you could either do it straight in that file or put uh, create a new file anywhere in the SRC directory and um, just import it just like you normally would with any other um, project or tool. Um, it supports TSX, JSX out of the box. So you shouldn't run into any problems in that regard. Um, and yeah, it, it's, that's really it. Um, there's nothing, there's no sort of special syntax that you have to write when you're writing the component. It's all just um, traditional TSX. Awesome. So not too much to think about. I feel like one of the biggest hurdles of somebody stepping into this, honestly, is, uh, I mean, D Dino's new, right? And you search up things and you have to reorient your whole mental model about like, okay, like we're working with, we're trying to work with natively browser-supported features. Um, we're, not, we're not trying to bring in a giant transpiled webpack monster. So I have to think of, rethink about the way I'm developing and what modules I'm using and how I'm using them. What is one way, like maybe stepping outside of just specific framework talk, what is one way somebody who's coming to this development space can help sift through like, oh, I'm searching up, Googling this like JavaScript answer and I don't know if it will run here or here. Like, is there some resources that help give that focused approach of tooling? The thing that I always try to, to steer away from is just, just searching through NPM as soon as you want to do something that's even mildly complicated um you kind of have to be a bit more choosy around some of the modules or dependencies that you use um i mean ultimately i would i would love to see um esm compatible packages being published to npm and other services like that which i think is becoming more and more of a trend but i mean you will run into issues even with esm.sh where you're trying to import um, something that's been written with cjs from npm and it just, you know, it just doesn't work because of some weird uh, compatibility issue with ESM, really. Um, so, I, I mean, right. I always, what I find pretty neat about an Ultra project is that it is quite low dependency. Um, there's only a handful of dependencies that you're using when you're building uh, a project from, from scratch where, you know, any of these other frameworks around here, you look at the no modules folder and it's just, it's absolutely insane how crazy it is. And that's just like, <laughs> with, and that's with nothing. That's like with a blank project, you know, um, pretty, pretty wild. Um, but, you know, with, with Dino, I think specifically, you can make these really robust, modern, neat, you know, server side rendered, client side uh, routing, um, 
client-side transitions, all, all you could do it all with very little. And I think that's the most, that's one of the most exciting things. And I guess if, if you're a developer who just wants to be able to, to throw in anything that you could find on NPM, like Ultra is probably not going to get you the most mileage out of it. Um, it's really for, um, if you, you sort of still need to take care in that regard. And it's, it's mainly because the, the ecosystem hasn't caught up to being fully ESM compatible yet, uh, especially a lot of React ecosystem. So yeah, definitely pay attention when you're bringing down packages. I mean, one thing I know I've done in the past is taking down a package and been like, all right, I'm hard forking this. There's like two spots where they like, I need to change the import. I'm going to change it, roll forward. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's a thing. I mean, I think once, I, I do think the tide is finally turning. I mean, ESM support and Node has been taking so long and it's still a hot topic of debate. Uh, I see a lot of um, really popular packages. And I think even um, Node Fetch a few months ago, they went to all ESM and they like broke, <laughs> they broke like thousands of projects around the world. And it just, um, I don't know, like it's been, a, <laughs> it should have happened a long time ago if you ask me, um, but it's good to see that it's happening now. And I, I think the new GraphQL is gonna be all 100% ESM, which they're releasing soon. Um, yeah, so it's all happening, and I think that's going to make Dino usage in general a lot, lot better or easier. And um, yeah, that's I think that's the future that we have to look forward to, and I get I get excited about that. I I, I can tell you're excited about that. We just got a visionary statement about the Node ecosystem uh, from 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 Omar. Um, so we're kind of running up on time. I did want to mention one thing about GraphQL. I recently found a project. This, it kind of blew me away because I've always been frustrated. Are you familiar with Bull.js? I don't think so. Okay, it's a queuing system, but some it's only in JavaScript. You can only do address it with JavaScript. It runs on Redis, but somebody made a GraphQL wrapper for it. And it's like, wow, it's amazing. I can talk to it with any language now. I've just been very excited over the past 24 yeah, hours yeah. about this finding. Um, but yeah, we're running up on time. Omar, it was really cool to learn about Ultra. I think this is like one of the more unique kind of frameworks that we've been able to delve into. And yeah, talking about the future about node development. Um, if people wanted to like learn more about you or follow your work or things, are, do you post anywhere? Do you have a social that you like to give out? Oh, yeah, I, I do a bit of things on, I post a bit on Twitter about this stuff. Um, we have a Discord channel, which someone in the community um, recommended me opening a few months ago. And it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Like we have, you know, I think 50 or so users that come in. So if you do want to if you do want to dive in or have any questions, the Discord's probably the easiest and most useful place to go. Um, that can be found on the uh, repo homepage. I think it's on there a few spots, but yeah, join the Discord and you could ask any questions and we, we kind of keep everyone up to date as much as we can with things that are going on. Great. And uh, if people wanted to visit the docs, what do you know the website URL off the top of your head? Yeah, ultrajs.dev. That will take you to the project homepage, which will have all the information. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Omar, for your time and for letting us pick your brain about what's happened in the development world. Cheers. Thanks a lot.
Hey, this is Emily, one of the producers for Pod Rocket. I'm so glad you're enjoying this episode. You probably hear this from lots of other podcasts, but we really do appreciate our listeners. Without you, there would be no podcasts. And because of that, it would really help if you could follow us on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to bring you conversations with great devs like Evan Yu and Rich Harris. In return, we'll send you some awesome Pod Rocket stickers. So check out the show notes on this episode and follow the link to claim your stickers as a small thanks for following us on Apple Podcasts.